Hello, and welcome to Walk and Talk. This eight-part series will look at life in UCC from the perspective of former students who went on to become major players on the national stage. By sharing their individual experiences, they'll paint not just a personal portrait of their younger selves, but also a broader picture of a shifting college landscape through the decades. This eight-part series invites past students of UCC back on campus to walk the grounds, relive their student days, and share their thoughts with the present-day student body. This week, Danny Denton, writer. My name is Danny Denton. I'm a lecturer in creative writing at the School of English and Digital Humanities. So we've got our back to the traffic lights at the bottom of O'Donovan Road and the Western Road and we're looking at the black gates of UCC uh, with those two lovely, I don't know what you'd call them, pillars uh, either side uh, and the bridge just ahead of us, the little humpback bridge. People tend to think of things in linear paths but like I would, memories overlap and things like that. So when we're looking at these gates now and I look at the humpback bridge over to the left on the bank railing kind of near the furthest lamppost, those kind of lovely old school lampposts. Me with my parents on my graduation day, we've got a photo there. I think it's on the wall in my mam's house now. So I can see that like as I walk up here. Now, the first couple of years I was here, there's no way I could have seen that. A, because that hadn't happened yet. B, because I wasn't sure I'd ever graduate. Um, but on the other side, actually, no, I don't really ever use it because I look silly in it, but I came here to get my author photos taken uh, ahead of my first book coming out and I got a photo just beneath the willow there, uh, which is on the riverbank, on the, let's say the western side of the riverbank. Uh, so I can see all these things, and even now, like, it'd be quicker often to come, come up the back road, up uh, College Road, when I cycle in, but I'd still try and make an attempt to come this way. You just get a nice little, very mini buzz, and sometimes I probably don't even notice if I'm busy thinking about something else, or late for class or whatever, but this is the kind of historic path, you know what I mean? Kind of got grey skies to the east and almost blue skies to the west, so that makes it a typical kind of cork day, the threat of rain. And that's another thing, when I think about my college years, the ends of my jeans are always sopping wet. My socks are always sopping wet. But we've got these gorgeous willows, I don't know how old they are, I don't know much about trees, but on both sides of the bridge you've got these gorgeous willows and the Scots pine. And that, I would say, is something that people would associate, or certainly people who've gone to UCC would associate with the campus here as the amazing trees, like obviously you got the, I don't know, the sequoias outside the pool, but like you come, like you kind of feel very, um, feels very, they add a prof profundity or something to just walking through campus. Um, and then we got the Glucksman up here on the right, uh, which I think just about coincides with when I was here, and I probably, maybe would have opened just after I finished maybe, I'm not sure of the dates, but uh, again just adds this amazing kind of aura to the place. A kind of a strange cultural but weirdly it kind of almost looks like a spaceship or something uh, area just amid all these trees and this lovely river and the foliage and yeah it's gorgeous when i was in college i think i was nearly always heading for the bull um the bull lecture halls and i had a few classes i would have had a f my classes would have split between the bull lecture halls the O'Ratley building, which was quite new at the time, um, and actually down on the Western Road, um, on the, on, again, back on that river, along those, those houses along towards Castle White. 
Um, but I generally be heading for the bull. I generally be late. Um, so I'm generally sneaking in down the back. It's kind of got that, you know, that kind of, uh, again, it's usually wet, so people are kind of a bit sodden. There's a bit of mist in the air, it's a bit sleepy. And they were always quite, I always remember them, the, the Bull lecture halls being very warm, like kind of almost unnecessarily warm, probably to dry, <laughs> to dry everybody, to dry everybody out maybe. So I studied, uh, I studied art. I studied English and philosophy primarily. In, in first year I did uh, English, philosophy, French and psychology. Uh, and so when I say I was running to the Bull, I should admit that I was not not a model student, particularly in first year. So I recall going to almost no French lectures, maybe one French lecture in the O'Reilly building. Very few psychology lectures, although the ones, the ones that I do remember were memorable. Um, but English, I was doing a bit in philosophy. I was definitely interested in philosophy in first year. So that's kind of, yeah, that's generally what I was doing. Yeah, as I said, kind of slimmed down to English and philosophy joint honours for second and third year, slowly improved as an entity, as a student, as someone who you would recognise in your classes. Um, and uh, yeah, thankfully graduated and got my photo on the bridge. So I, I kind of had a funny path in, in terms of, I'm from Passage West and I went to school in St. Peter's and had a great gang there. But it was at, at that time, it was, it was kind of around the turn of the century and it was, they still had then your career guidance teacher who you would be uh, assigned, you'd be assigned one meeting with your career guidance teacher in fifth year probably and, and they'd say, oh you're good at English, you do law, you're good at maths, you do engineering, you're good at English, you do law. And you kind of, she divvied up the classes that way. So I remember coming to open days here thinking I should be doing law. I think Ali McBeal was on telly at the time as well, so probably everybody wanted to do law. And as the time neared and we had to fill out our CAO forms, I realised I did not want to do law. So I put down environmental science, I was into the big on the environment at the time, so I put down environmental science number one. I put down a CIT course number two, which was kind of nautical, I think it was called, it was all called marine science or nautical science. This is my grandfather was in the merchant navy and I thought, maybe I'd just go to sea, I had a big thing for travel, maybe I'd just go to sea. And third, I had arts, and I think fourth, I had law, maybe. And so when the time came, I got the points for everything. I was thinking, I ain't doing environmental science. There's no way I'd survive some environmental science. I'm not even good at biology. So I took a year out. I went to China and read a lot in China and realized what I wanted to do, which was read books and potentially write books and live in the books world and work in the books world. So I came back and I bumped, I redid my CAO form while I was in China, bumped up uh, arts and off I, just, that was it then for me. Arrived then, started to make pals in my English class, my philosophy class and living, I used to live on, um, I lived on Galabi Terrace which were kind of, I think if we go out here, and, uh, so we're just at the Bull Lecture Theatres now, standing outside them um, and I think if we go up there to the left, it was probably three or four minutes. Uh, so if I had worn pyjamas, I probably could have come in in my pyjamas back in the day down that way, but I always end up going through the front gate. But anyways, I lived there and sure, I started having a lot of fun then. That was a big, that was a big, um, that was a big obstacle in the way of uh, making swift academic progress. 
But in second year, I had a lecture on Moby Dick, and it just changed, changed everything. And that was back down on the river, in those Castle White buildings, or the buildings before Castle White. And that was a lecture on Moby Dick. I can't remember the lecturer's name. I think it was Anna Walsh. And I kind of realised I want to write something like this. I want to do that. And so she, whatever way she had us reading the book, we were reading it in a very kind of writerly way, like, how did it work? What does that symbol, what, why did he put that there? And so I was kind of thinking, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do one of these. So after that, then it was kind of, I was serious. I kind of realised all these amazing, like at, at the same semester we were doing Ulysses, down here in the bull, one of the smaller bulls with Colbert Kearney, um, Professor Colbert Kearney, and yeah, that was, I kind of realised I was surrounded by very knowledgeable people who were studying things that I was mad interested in, if I just opened my eyes kind of thing. And then the last year and a half was a blur of brilliant lectures and getting involved and that kind of stuff. So we're underground now, we're at the bottom of the stairs uh, with the Boole Lecture Theatres. And Boole 2 is on the on our right hand side here and we've got these whatever these old brown square tiles are and I, my memory and maybe it is just one memory overlapping again and again but it's like it's a memory of these floors just being like more or less wet and people slapping their feet slapping on the wet tiles you know squeaking and people dragging and then all of a sudden it's kind of quiet the lecture theater the lecturers go and you're into it so two and three were definitely the big ones Lovely and dark in here, you know, kind of cinema atmosphere. Do you know what was an amazing thing, right? We went to, uh, my wife and I went to Japan a couple of years ago. We happened to kind of, you can get these access to have very state-of-the-art offices there. There's a company called, uh, I think they're called Persona, HR company, and it's like, um, their building is like the office of the future. But one thing I noticed when we were in there, because you could actually walk in and look around while people were doing their jobs, Japanese people take naps anywhere at any time. So they could be in the middle of a meeting, monthly meeting or whatever, their boss. They'll just stick their head down and take a nap for 10 minutes. Not, no one thinks a thing of it. And I, that made me think of all the times I was in here. <laughs> Maybe come out of Gorby's or Cubans the night before or something like that. And you'd be into a lecture and you think, I can't. But you'd feel desperately guilty about it. But I kind of think now actually maybe we were a bit behind. Maybe all the, maybe all the students who were snoozing in the lectures were uh, we're onto something. Because mm. <laughs> you'd be thinking, once you got your, once you got your 10 minutes, your power and action, you could think clearly then for the rest of the lecture. Mm. When you're late, you kind of, you come in, you don't go right down the back because they're usually taken by the other people who don't want to go up the front. So you'd come in, you go three or four rows down and whichever, wherever you saw an easy access point, because you want to slip into the middle-ish somewhere. So it kind of feels like you've been there, you know? So that's definitely where I go. I, Again, by third year, I don't think I really had, did I have any lectures here by third year? By the end of second year, maybe, I was a bit more interested in asking questions. And if you're interested in asking questions, obviously your first three or four rows, or that's where I tended to go. So you could be heard if you did pluck up the courage. And that's still probably the most nerve wracking thing you can do in life is stick up your hand and ask a question in front of a load of other people, isn't it? It still, is, still gives me little palpitations now, but yeah, certainly sneaking in down the back for the first, for the first while. Cheers. Now, oh, where to next?
the other thing that I was involved in when I was in UCC was the soccer team. So I stayed, I, I still played GA with Passage, but I was involved with the Freshers team first, and then would have been on the um, the Collingwood Cup panel. Not a not a starter or anything like that, but got a got a half here and there. But we, so that that's where I would have done my on-campus drinking was always with the soccer lads. And we gravitated towards the new bar for whatever reason. The old bar, I was only in, a hand, in the old bar a handful of times, even though I think it's still, a lot of people my age scramble to buy their piece of the old bar when they, when, when they went up for sale recently. So, but for some reason, it's, it doesn't stick in my memory as, as a place. It was the new bar that we went drinking, maybe because it was, it was newish then. And, and it, was, it was something different. Um, but certainly I would have done my so The main bit, like, like all students, the first three hours of your socialising are done in the new bar or the old bar. The second three hours of your socialising are done back in the house, someone's house, you're having a party. And then you're desperately trying to get into the Pav, Gorby's, Cubans, take your pick. Try, try them all in my time. Um, but yeah, I think it really, even though I can't remember being in there, I certainly wasn't in there every week, but the new bar would have been closer to me than the old bar. And funnily enough, as I mentioned, my sister is, um, sister is a mature student here now. She is just 30, 31 maybe. And I've promised her she's got an exam tomorrow and I promise her when you finish your exam, I'll take you to the, take you to the new bar for the fabled post-exam pint. And I, oh wait, actually, geez, yeah, now that I think about it, a lot of the exams were done down the Mardike, weren't they? So, the Western Star, I would have had a good few nights in there now, both with the soccer team and with my, with your, with your, with your course buddies, you know. So we're in the Aula Maxima, uh, which is kind of just, obviously, it feels very fabled. Very, I can imagine a millennial person saying it's very Harry Potter. Um, I'd have to read Harry Potter to know exactly, but certainly the old books, you just feel like you're amongst history, you're in the middle of history when you're in this room. And obviously the Aula Maxima is in the quad, which is the original university, so there is just that sense of being a very small speck uh, in time. But this, oh, a couple of memories come to mind with this room. Um, I think I might have done an exam here all right, but I don't remember what the exam was or how important it was. Exams are kind of traumatic experiences. <laughs> Aren't they? You just kind of, they're a flurry. But I remember my first thing with the Aula Maxima was, I think before I was a student, I used to work as a, what you might call a temp waiter or a waiter for hire. There was a temp agency on the South Mall. I think they were called Manpower or something like that. And they would, you'd register with them and when they needed, when, when they were asked to find five waiters or servers for a, a private event or gig, they would, they would sign you up. So I remember coming here and just being someone who stood there with glasses of champagne for something and I remember thinking, oh yeah, yeah, I want to go here. This is cool. And I probably didn't set foot in the room then for another five years and it was probably doing a very stressful exam. But another lovely thing was when I became the writer in residence here, which really was for me like, so it was 2019, 2020, um, it was really for me like a kind of coming of age thing in terms of I figured out who I wanted to be in UCC and I had I went elsewhere to really become that person like it didn't I didn't I didn't I wasn't writing publishable work leaving UCC I kind of had to go and spend 12 or 13 years writing fiction to eventually um, 
have a book published. But I came back here as writer in residence with my book published. And I was, I, I, my first day as writer in residence was September the 1st, 2019. And my first son, my, my first son was born on September the 2nd, 2019. So we had a welcome event kind of here. I think it was on the 11th or the 12th of September, maybe. And I remember sitting up on that stage and I was talking with the other writer in residences, um, the, the, sorry, the other, not writer in residence, the other artists in residence. Um, and we were sitting up there and I must, I'd say I had about five hours sleep in the previous two days. So I can remember sitting up there, but I can't remember what I said, but that was a real nice feeling of, I've kind of come full circle now. I'm back where I started and I did it, you know, like I have the book under my, have the book under my oxter now. I have it done. Um, and obviously now I lecture here. So it's kind of been a fantastic thing coming back in that way, you know? I imagine how Stephen Gerrard feels when he rocks up to Anfield now as a, <laughs> as a manager. Not that I'm comparable with Stephen Gerrard in, in any way. So we're on the Stone Corridor um, in the West Wing. We're outside uh, West, West Wing rooms three and four. Um, and in one of those rooms, uh, I had my first taste of, a, of meeting a writer. And at the time, Claire Keegan was the writer in residence at UCC. So I'm not sure exactly what year, whether that was 2004, 2005. Um, but she ran a workshop in one of, those, one of those rooms, and I can't remember which. But the, the, the idea was you would send your work, you'd email your work to Claire, or maybe you actually had to hand it into, yeah, you had to hand it into the English office. And you would get to do a workshop with her. And there was, a, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 in the workshop, something like that. So I'd handed in my work and I'd been selected. And we came into room three or four, uh, winter time, dark evening, probably five to seven, one of those kind of evening classes, you know, five to seven, six to eight, something like that. Came in and Claire Keegan, like magnificent writer um, and a really lovely person uh, who I've met since, but uh, you come in and she's kind of got this, she's kind of got this Queen Maeve kind of vibe, you know, like you do not mess with Claire Keegan and proceeded to, I think she was like, right, we'll do, we'll do the, f the first four now and then we'll take a break, we'll do the next four. And she started workshopping people and cutting people down to size one by one. And I knew I was in the second half. So I was <laughs> biding my time and we got to the break. I went out to the toilet and I never went back. I legged it. <laughs> I said, that's it, that's my, that's my writing career over. Uh, and I'd say they were all laughing because I never, yeah, I didn't go back. And that was the first night of, I think, after that, then we were going to go on and talk about it. I, I just never went near it again. It was too frightening. Um, so that maybe was a bit of a setback. I got myself together again in order to go and do a master's and go and, and, go and get writing again. But. Uh, God, it was a terrifying evening. And I, I told her this in the Corkshire Story Festival not that long ago, and she was, she didn't remember it at all, or, or she was very kind to me, I'm not sure which. I came back to um, UCC as the writer in residence in 2019. I'd gone for it the year before and didn't get it, which was, you know, disappointing, but uh, Danielle McLaughlin actually got it, and she's, again, a hero, an amazing writer. So, when I arrived, it was kind of like I'd really earned it, you know, like I kind of stuck around and gone for it a couple of times. And at that point, I kind of had a bit of, I knew Lee Jenkins, who was the head of English at the time. Um, 
I knew her a little bit better from being around and doing the interview and doing a guest talk here and there. So when I came back, it just felt like, uh, it, it like kind of like I was saying, it felt like I'd kind of arrived. Um, I'd kind of come full circle. I'd gone away on my kind of journey to figure out who I was or who I was going to become or how I was going to become who I was. And came back with a book under under my oxter a second book to write which is you know now done um and so it was just in that sense it was just welcome in every way that it was kind of um symbolically brilliant it, and it's brilliant don't get me wrong like the writer in residence gets paid a salary and not many writers get a salary so it was brilliant to arrive and be paid to be here and the thing i kept banging on about i remember in my interview was that i had come here whatever it was, 12, 13 years before, and been a student who looked for guidance as a budding writer or whatever. So I kind of wanted to be the inspiration for that person who was knocking around the Boole lecture halls and knocking around the O'Reilly building and that kind of thing. And that kind of, that's what I tried, what I tried to do. So one of the, the two things you do as a writer in residence, you teach a module on the MA in writing, um, and the MA in writing didn't exist when I went to UCC, otherwise I probably would have done it. I went to Galway to do mine. But, uh, so that was lovely, meeting new writers from Cork and all over the place, working with them up on College Road in, in um, one of the kind of lovely little classrooms in, uh, off College Road. And then the, the second thing he did, which was really lovely, was a university-wide workshop. So that was for non-creative writing students, anyone can apply. Um, and I, we, ha we had about 12 in the workshop and we did it actually in the quad in one of the rooms up, up above um, the, the visitor centre which I'm not sure was technically allowed but we, I got away with it somehow and it's a lovely old room there was 12 or 13 of us staff and students a nice mix of staff and students and students from students of biology students of English students of law uh, so a really nice mix of people in the class and the lovely thing the lovely thing about that one probably as opposed to, so the MA in writing, you're working with writers who are very serious about what they're doing and have career goals and things already, and you can help them with that. So that was lovely, it, it, being able to help people in a very channeled way. But in this one, the, the people who were doing the university workshop above the quad were just people who wanted to write. And they didn't know how they wanted to write or what they wanted to write or whether they had any ambition. And the free, there's a different kind of writer comes with that kind of freedom in terms of they don't feel like they have to write anything except what they want to do. Whereas other people, if you're writing for publication, you might try and channel your energies a bit towards something that's marketable or something that's a trend or something that you think needs to be written. Whereas the university gang, the university workshop gang, they're just writing, not for fun because they take it very seriously, but they're writing with freedom. Um, and so that was lovely and we just had some, some very special evenings up there and again it's an evening class so that bit more special than the morning class in terms of everyone's always walking out into the night together afterwards um, and kind of going their separate ways under, under the lovely street lights around here and that kind of thing so yeah it was, uh, it was a very special time and I was a kind of it was a bit, a bit foggy because as I kind of mentioned earlier I was a father for the first time and that first semester is kind of synonymous in my head with that lack of sleep and it's kind of a dreamlike time. But um, that was kind of how the year kind of progressed and it was all based on And I had lovely interactions in terms of I would have got to talk books and writing and poetry with uh, the university librarian, John Fitzgerald. So you kind of meet different people then, chatting with the other artists in residence, the, the filmmaker in residence, the uh, traditional musician in residence and the playwright in residence was I think it was John McCarthy at the time 
Um, again, lovely kind of meeting people like that and chatting and you do a few events, you do a few readings. So you, it really did feel like a kind of a homecoming that lasted a full year in that sense. And being able to kind of be of service to people as well is lovely. Quick year, I'd say, was it? Yeah, it goes very fast. And actually, it's kind of, um, it feels almost a bit apocalyptic because it was March the 12th. So we probably had maybe two or three classes left in the semester. Uh, and March the 12th, we were all told, leave the office like you're not coming back. Get, get, grab your belongings, you know. Uh, and that was, so I think the last couple of classes were, were online or were they even, perhaps even postponed because we weren't sure if we'd be back next week or back, you know, you didn't know what was going on at the time. So maybe we did one online and one was postponed or something like that. But yeah, so right, I kind of, luckily, in one, in one sense, the time is lucky in terms of I have most of the year, but it was just cut short, like the, the last month was kind of taken away. But uh, so the book, the book that's coming out is called All Along the Echo, and it's set in Cork and let's say the present day, maybe a year or two after COVID. Um, and it kind of follows in a very haphazard way the uh, running, the daily running of a car competition on a radio show. So imagine a, a radio station like 96FM has a talk show every, every weekday morning um, and it decides to run a car competition. And so the book kind of notionally follows the running of the car competition. And in the car competition, what you have to do is you have to find the car. But the car could be anywhere in the country. People are kind of going left, right and centre looking for this car. And the book kind of follows the presenter of the show and the producer of the show, Tony and Louise, um, but also brings in essentially the idea is that if you ring into the show, we can see into your life. If you work for the show, we can see into your life. So you get to jump into lots of different lives. And it's just trying to capture maybe kind of um, Irish life and a kind of the, the way Irish life is maybe now compared to when I was growing up like one of the things that they end up doing is spending a lot of time on dual carriageways and motorways because they're driving around and and you're kind of a little bit removed this is kind of maybe going into my own experience of spending a lot of time on the south ring dual carriageway which kind of goes past all these amazing places and you can kind of see down into passage and Mahanestri and all that kind of stuff but you're kind of at a remove, so I kind of, I kind of feel a little bit nostalgic for actually being in places and being in towns and villages um, rather than being on dual carriageways or public transport all the time. So there's a little bit of that thematically going on, whatever. but generally you're following these people around to figure out who's going to win the car. There's loads of little subplots. Someone's ringing the radio station every week because their cat is missing, so it's, will they find the cat? And the thing I found about the, these kind of talk shows, like w we lived in Spain for a year or two, I should say we lived in Catalonia for a year or two, um, and I found myself listening to PJ Coogan's radio show almost every day because I wanted to hear Cork accents, and I really missed that kind of local voice. Um, and there are running narratives to the things, and you kind of... You get the Wingers, you get the heroes, you get every different part of life uh, all on this radio show. And you don't really get that that much elsewhere anymore. You get it in a local pub, right? But you have to spend a lot of time in the pub to get enough of it. So it kind of became a real beacon for me and I wanted to try and capture that somehow and talk about the things that are going on in Ireland now through that kind of uh, forum. And a lot of the most interesting people that I've met in my life are people who did that so they might have been studying biology but wanted to try writing a story and they ended up writing a book or they wanted to work in radio but they ended up being a nurse like I, I, I can't tell you how many people I know who have those stories so part of it is the bravery of doing the thing you want to do and not worrying about what you've already done or what happens next or 
what type of person should be a writer. I don't like, I have a kind of traditional path in terms of I studied English and philosophy, but I could have just as easily done that environmental science thing, dropped out, ended up working in a pub for 20 years. I still might have written the book if I was just brave enough. So you just have to be brave enough to do the thing you want to do. And then the other thing is do it, don't talk about it. Because again, I've met plenty of people who talk all the time about doing things. And if they sit down and just wrote a page every day, they'd have 365 pages at the end of the year and that's a book. So it's doing it is the thing and, and being brave enough to do it, I think. You've been listening to Walk and Talk. This eight-part series looks at life in UCC from the perspective of former students who went on to become major players on the national stage. By sharing their individual experiences, they paint not just a personal portrait of their younger selves, but also a broader picture of a shifting college landscape through the decades. For more details on the series, search for UCC 98.3 FM wherever you get your podcasts. This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.